Hey there. Thank you for listening to the Wesley Memorial Podcast. This is Clark Chilton, Associate Pastor of Contemporary Worship and Evangelism. For the month of September, we're going to be looking at what the Bible says about family. And the sermon series we're doing is called Family Life. We're going to look at some of the practical things the Bible has to say about marriage, singleness, parenting, and more. So dig in with us. We hope this series is a blessing to you. And thanks again for listening worshiping with us. We are continuing our series called Family Life, and today the topic is singleness. And this is a really important uh, issue to talk about, especially in the church, to see what the Bible has to say about singleness for guidance in this uh, seasons of life that some of us may be in. Because now more than ever in uh, history of the United States, there are more adults age 18 and up, over 50% of all adults age 50 and up, of age 18 and up, are single. Over 50% are single. And it's good to acknowledge, too, that that the denominational church, and many times the Big C Church, has done a poor job at recognizing and acknowledging the gifts and graces of single people. Um, And and the church has unwittingly uh, elevated the nuclear family husband and wife and two and two and a half kids and a white picket fence and we acknowledge that as the standard as being better you know quote unquote than being single and and that's wrong it's just not true and along with that though um, if there are single people in our midst uh, and I remember this because I used to be one uh, we pester them just like was when I was single people would say are you dating anybody are you dating? Maybe you should be dating. Let me hook you up with my, my stepbrother's uncle's niece's uh, uh, friend or whatever. And, and you think, you know, they ask, are you dating? Are you dating? And then let's say you, you actually start dating somebody. Then when you're dating them, people ask you, are you married? Are you going to get married? Have you thought about getting married? Maybe you should get married. And then when you get married, then the, you, people know this when you get married. People ask you this question. Are you going to have kids? Are you going to have kids? You got a kid yet? Then you have a kid. You're going to have another kid? You're going to have another kid? How many kids you got? And then when you get, when you get, after this, the stage is, are you going to retire? When are you going to retire? Have you retired yet? And it goes on and on. I mean, we should stop pestering single people. For one, because Jesus was single. Jeremiah was single. John the Baptist was single. Francis Asbury was single. I mean, you could go on and on. There's some great saints of history we're single people. Jesus himself, single. Sorry, Da Vinci Code. Jesus was single. But also because married people, you used to be single too. And we need to remember that. And when we talk about singleness too, the Big C Church has intentionally or unintentionally also shunned divorced persons and made them feel second class. And that also is wrong and grievous. And this church particularly has offered divorce care groups, and I hope we do that again in the future, um, that have really helped people. And I want to be clear and, and clear the air, and Jeff does this as well at the traditional service, and say to people, if you're listening and you're single or you're divorced, we want to be unequivocally clear with you that you are welcome at Wesley Memorial Church all the time that we are a church family, 
And if you are single, this whole church should be considered your extended family and Christian community. I want to be clear about that because no one is better than anybody else. But singleness can be made to feel lesser because it could come as a result of a loss or a breakup. It could be a a lifestyle of singleness or celibacy that you have a feel as a calling of God or you've chosen for your life. Or it could be a period of waiting. Singleness for some might feel like a waiting season, but it does not have to be a wasted season. By God's grace, let us work hard during singleness to maybe to develop character, to take advantage of this time of flexibility, and to celebrate what you do have. As the pastor Tim Keller says, if single Christians don't develop a deeply fulfilling love relationship with Jesus, then they will put too much pressure on their future dream of marriage. If you pursue marriage or relationship aside from pursuing a deep, real relationship with Jesus, you could be expecting a future marriage or relationship to heal you in a way that only Jesus can. And so it's good encouragement to use a time of singleness to put first things first. Because the good news for single people is that you can be single but also not be alone. And loneliness is something that I know a lot of single people really struggle with. But you know what? Married people can feel alone too, but in a different way. You're not alone. I'm not alone. God is with us every day. And God's will for every single person might not be to get married, but that's okay because the God, God's will for everyone is to follow him, to follow Christ. Now, as we'll see today in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul is going to talk about singleness. Paul, who was single, clearly shows his bias for singleness, that he was in favor of it for his own life, and he very, very bluntly states he thinks that everyone who's single should just remain single. I don't think that's always realistic, Paul, but, but he has good reasons for saying that. As we'll see, 1 Corinthians 7, 8, it really throughout 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul, I'm not going to read all of it, but he extensively teaches on marriage, uh, why you should remain single, why you should maybe get married if you're betrothed or engaged. I mean, he writes a lot about this in 1 Corinthians 7, so I encourage you to uh, read that on your own and, and maybe do a little, bit in, a little bit of individual study. But 1 Corinthians 7 and 8, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Verse 8, Paul says, to the unmarried and the widows. I love that Paul acknowledges the real aspect of widow, widow or widowers in our midst who are single. And that he acknowledges even back then. He says, to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is well for them to remain unmarried as I am. Paul is saying, hey, I'm single. What's the big deal? <laughs> so maybe you should be like me. As we'll see later, that can be a calling and a gifting for some. And for others, that's a very difficult teaching to, uh, to, uh, to receive, as Jesus says. So it's not for everybody. But um, Paul is saying here, hey, I prefer you to remain single because you'll be able to devote more of your time and energy to serving the Lord. 
But, he says in verse 9, if you are not practicing self-control, you should just marry. For it is better to marry than to be aflame with passion. As well, we're going to dig into that as well in a little bit, but I was thinking of this term in singleness. It's such a general, broad idea. But in reality, you know, what, what age you are, what stage you are in life, it means very different things. There's different types of singleness. There's different circumstances around it. And so I, I think I came up with three pretty good um, general uh, subheadings for singleness that cover it. The first one is singleness as a stage. This is really for young adults. And if you're a young adult, please stay listening. I've got some good things to say that I've learned from my own life. But singleness as a stage in your high school or young adult age. There's also singleness as circumstance that perhaps through divorce or a breakup, you are single or through the unfortunate loss of a spouse, you are single. And there's also singleness as gifting or calling, that there are some in our midst who see it as a calling to remain celibate and single as devotion to the Lord. As we'll see, we'll discuss that in a little bit. But the first is singleness as stage. So if you're listening in high school or young adult or whatever stage you're in, you just see it as um, you've, you've never been married, you've never been in a relationship, it makes me think about high school for me and the desperation I felt to be in a relationship. Um, and I remember praying to God one, one night, being so hung up about it, as you are in that age, you're a teenager, everything's emotional. Um, I remember praying to God, Jesus, don't come back until I can get married. <laughs> and he honored that prayer, but um, there was a good desire in my heart to to pursue that a relationship, um, and, and God puts that within us to have that desire, but sometimes we can seek the desire more than we seek God himself. And, you know, I had that good desire that I wanted, but thank God I didn't date anybody seriously in high school, actually. You can cause a lot of problems for yourself many times, but um, I... You're, you feel the temptation, though. You have this desire that I think God puts within us. He says in Genesis 2 that it's not good for man or woman to be alone. Um, but I wanted to pursue the desire more than I was pursuing God. And that hunger or desire can really lead you to some of the wrong places, to some pain, really. And it was a good reminder to avoid the temptation to go after the desires of my heart rather than going after God first. And so for me, as I got older into my young adult years, I got tired of, of, of the games and dating and, um, you know, e-harmony or whatever. You know, I, I just got sick of, of doing that. And so I decided just to wait. And it was by God's grace I even had that realization. But I, I realized that faith, though, even though I was waiting... I realize that faith is also active. It looks ahead. It prepares for what could be coming. And when God does provide it, I would be ready for it. So, but instead of just passively waiting for something or pining for what I didn't have or pursuing the desires of my heart only or the, de the desires of my flesh or my eyes, I decided to trust God's promises and celebrate what I did have. 
and focus on that, which is a relationship with God, which was some really great friends, a great church I was a part of. And no matter what would come, I would be content in him. And I said, God, I'm just done. I'm done with the game and all that. And I'm just going to focus on becoming a good husband now so that when maybe I do meet her one day, I'm, I'm a bit more ready to receive it. And that when I do meet her, I've got a sense of expectancy, of trusting God, and so that when it did happen, I could step into it and be prepared for it, to become more steadfast and reliable and chaste and holy and mature. And I realized that in my young adult years up to that point, I really hadn't been obedient to Jesus with my singleness. This is just speaking for me. I certainly believed in Jesus. I loved Jesus in everything, but I had not been obedient to surrendering the aspect of my singleness under his lordship, if that makes sense, to let him lead and him provide if and when that would happen. And so I remember a prayer I prayed one night, and I said, God, let it be like a lightning bolt if and when I meet this person. You're God. You can make it obvious to me because I'm not looking anymore, because what I'm doing is failing at it, honestly. So just make it obvious. Slap me across the face and make it clear. And until that does happen, if and when it did or would happen, transform me to the person I need to be so that when it did happen, I could receive it in a mature way. And so I was off the market for well over a year. And I, but I had to ask myself the question, am I the person that the person I'm looking for is looking for? Am I the person that the person I'm looking for is looking for? To put it another way, would you date you? And if the answer is no, well, then maybe don't date anybody just yet. I've told people this over the years that you really can keep, you know, in Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and God will add to you what you truly need. And this applies to singleness. That if you, if you seek first the kingdom, you really have the cross, if you will, as your true north, as your, as your focus, and you're moving in that direction, in God's direction, and that's your focus, not focused on what you could get or pursuing the desires of your heart, even though they feel good and they feel right, but you maybe could, you take them out of context. So if you pursue God as your true north, you're moving in that direction, maybe in time, God, God will bring someone else that's also moving in that same direction, and you could come alongside each other, and you've both been moving in that direction, and you'll both continue in his direction. But sometimes we don't want to look at the cross first. We may just want to run off the road and pursue our own desires. It's hard. But may the Holy Spirit give us the self-control as a fruit of the Spirit. Give us the self-control to do that. To have be a sort of person that we almost have blinders on. That in time, as we're seeking God first, when you're ready for it, he could provide if that is God's will. It reminds me of Psalm 37, 4. Take delight in the Lord, and then he will give you the desires of your heart. 
But all too often, and I fall into this trap as well, you seek the desires of your heart first. What you think are the desires of your heart, and you think, therefore, I feel it, therefore, it is good. That's not always true. And then maybe later I'll think of the Lord, I'll delight in the Lord, maybe. But more people, single and married, honestly, need to spend more time delighting in the Lord, seeking first his kingdom, and then in time, he'll give you even something better than what you thought you were going to get by taking it for yourself. I mean, how do you know, though, now this is also, I'm still on the single for stage, young adult topic here. How do you know when they're the one? People have asked me this. Now, there's a lot of answers to this question. There's really only one um, way I'm going to address this. I remember the show 30 Rock. If you've watched 30 Rock, it used to be on NBC. Liz Lemon on the, that show had a book she wrote called Deal Breakers. And if your man does any of these things, that's a deal breaker. And the relationship's off. Shut it down, she would say. If, if he has a chain wallet, deal breaker. If he's got a face tattoo, deal breaker or whatever. She would just list off all these deal breakers. The only deal breaker for me about how do you know if they're the one or anything, is really, are they a Christian or not? Are they a Christ follower? That's a deal breaker. The Bible everywhere assumes that Christians will marry Christians. Now, if if you're in a relationship or married to someone who's not a Christian, I'm not trying to shun you or shame you. Uh, There's also ways that God can move in that relationship. But if you're still looking, it's really a non-negotiable is marrying another believer. And here's why. Um, If your partner doesn't understand your Christian faith, or they don't understand it the way you do from the inside, if they don't understand that Jesus is central to you, then that means they might not fully understand you. If you marry someone who doesn't share this most deeply held belief, um, they they won't be able to fathom your motivations or your decision-making or why you're doing what you're doing. You'll be a little bit mysterious to the other one. So that's the main reason uh, to marry. You must marry another believer, and there's other Bible verses that address this. So there's single as stage, also single as circumstance. This is one that's very painful for many and very difficult for many. Maybe you didn't ask to be single, and here, here you are. Divorce or a separation was heaped on you, or you initiated it. Either way, it became toxic and unhealthy and painful. And it's hard. It's very hard. Or, um, as I said earlier, maybe you're a widow or a widower. And I was thinking about this. In all the churches I've served, I've come alongside people that have lost a loved one, and this has become their new reality. Um, and I've, I've walked alongside people that have lost a spouse. I've heard their stories, that this tangible pain and difficulty that's deep and overwhelming. I have also, though, been so deeply moved and impressed by the faith of so many who have lost a spouse, and they continue to trust God and seek him in the midst of it. And I've also always been blown away, every church, at how the church has rallied around those persons 
and loved them and provided for them in the midst of their loss. And that's really the church at its best, you know? When someone loses someone and now they didn't want to be single, but here they are, and the church just loves them. And that's really the, those Christian relationships. God uses community just to bring life to us in so many ways. And God has such deep affection for those who have been thrust into singleness, particularly widows. You see this throughout Scripture. Psalm 68, God says that God is the father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Exodus 22, God has very sharp words to the nation of Israel. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will hear their cry and my wrath will burn. God has a heart, deep, deep heart for those who have no voice or are deeply lonely or alone. And I want you to know that God is your protector in the midst of your singleness in whatever time or stage that it is. And a word of encouragement, too, that don't let singleness eventually drive you to desperation. And we all get there sometimes. We all feel that sometimes, as tempting as it may be. I've always told people that if you've gone through a traumatic event, whether it's the loss of a loved one or a divorce, um, to really hold off on any big decisions for at least a year. Because it's, it's a trauma that you've been through. Um, particularly, don't get into a new relationship after you've been through a traumatic event. Wait at least a year to allow God to heal your heart and move and, and, and lead you into, into relationships that are maybe life-giving for the, what you've been through or counseling that you need to go through. Um, that it's, and many times we can make poor decisions based on the pain that we have experienced. And many times when you've gone through those moments, you may need deep Christian relationships more than you need a new relation, just a new dating relationship or a marriage. God's healing can take time, but he does speak the language of love through other people. I mean, think about that. It's through people that God's love is most often communicated. And it's in Christian community that we find healing and hope um, that's very life-giving from if we've been through a traumatic breakup or a divorce. So there's single as stage, single as um, circumstance, and also single as a gifting or a calling. This one's a bit more rare, but it is real. See, because singleness, it doesn't have to be a stage that you just sort of get through until you get to something, quote-unquote, better. It, singleness is not an aberration or a mistake, but it can be a gift of God to some. Because whether you're a married or unmarried, you will experience struggles and difficulties. Marriage does not fix all your problems, and all the married people can know that's for the, a fact. As, as blessing as it is, it's not the perfect solution for some. And as that video uh, said earlier that we watched before the sermon, because your ultimate identity, ultimate identity, after this life is over, your ultimate identity is not found in who you're, whether you're married 
or unmarried, your identity is, is in who you are in Christ. Jesus says explicitly, no one is married in heaven. He says that in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, married people read that and they go, man, that's a bummer. I can't be married to my wife or my husband in heaven anymore. But what Jesus is saying here is that the relationships in heaven are so much more rich in life-giving than we can possibly imagine, so that marriage is not even necessary after this life is over. It's not necessarily on what you're losing, but on how much more we will be gaining in heaven. Paul refers to singleness as a gift in 1 Corinthians 7, 7, and it was to him as a missionary and an apostle and a lifestyle that he had. But Paul isn't saying that singleness is a stress-free state, far from it, but it can provide more flexibility to focus on ministry, on serving God, and blessing the world. Now, someone may be thinking, okay, okay, well, I don't find it very easy to be on my own, and I do long to, to get married. So does that mean I'm experiencing, quote, second best? No. When Paul speaks of singleness as a gift, he isn't speaking of a particular ability some people have to be contentedly single. Rather, he's speaking of the state of being single. As long as you have it, it's a gift from God. Marriage is also a gift from God. They're equal. One is not better than the other. We should receive our situation in life and trust God for its future. Whether it's singleness or marriage, they are both our gifts of God's grace to us. Singleness as a calling, though, as a call to celibacy particularly, is, is not for everyone. But it is a calling that some give and receive and do live into. Jesus says in Matthew 19, he teaches on this, and he says, look, not everybody's going to accept this statement of, of singleness, celibacy, as a calling. He says, only those whom God helps, and some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. There are, of course, Catholic priests and nuns that do this, but also lay people that do this as well. Then he says, let anyone accept this who can. He's like, look, it's not for everybody, okay? It's okay. But it is, it is a gifting and a calling for some. Lastly, as Jeff hints on too in his sermon in the traditional service, the book of Genesis begins with a marriage. And the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible, it ends with a marriage. It begins with a marriage and ends with a marriage. You know, when those who are presently single, one day you will marry in a general, cosmic, spiritual sense. But no Christian, is what I'm saying, no Christian is single forever. Human marriage reflects the marriage of God that God wants to have and enjoy with his people forever. The Bible speaks of Jesus as the bridegroom and the big C church as his bride to be with him in the perfect new creation. One day when heaven and earth come together and all of creation, all of the physical matter and the tangible things of earth, they will all be redeemed, the Bible says, in that perfect marriage of the church and Christ. You see, one day, 
one day, all the pain will disappear. All the sickness, all the tears, all the baggage, all the trials maybe you've gone through in a relationship or losing someone. The great hope that's unparalleled in other religions of the world that stands apart because it is true that God says, I will wipe every tear from every eye. There will be no more mourning or sickness or crying or death. And a great shout will be heard across the heavens that says, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. This is the hope for all, whether we are married or single and we are in Christ, that one day we will all be united in him, in that new creation, on that glorious day, on those eternal shores that spotless place, free of sin, free of misunderstanding, free of hurt, all of it will be wiped away. I heard the story of a pastor who taught about this idea of the eventual marriage of Christ and his church and his people. And he said, an elderly woman who had been single her whole life said to him, I can't wait for my wedding day. We should all share the same hope. And we can already experience something of that intimate marriage with Christ here on earth while we serve him and work in the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives that human relationships matter. But let's put them in proper perspective. No relationship matters as, is as important as our eternal relationship with, with Christ that begins here and now and carries on in the life to come. And if you're watching or listening to this and you're single, let us know how we can help you and pray with you and walk alongside you and connect you into life-giving Christian relationships here at Wesley Memorial Church, that this is the body of Christ and you are welcome. No matter what you've been through or, or had to deal with, that you are welcome or if you're a young person and you're trying to figure it all out and you don't know who you are or what you're going to be doing, you're welcome. That the Spirit of God is here and present to help us in our time of trial and need, in our time of confusion. So let me pray with you right now and let us know again how we can help you in the journey of life that you're in. Let's pray. Dear God, we give you thanks for another day you've given us, the only day we have. God, we cherish the gifts that we receive today, the gift of your Holy Spirit's presence among us. We thank you, God, for the gift of single people among us. Forgive us, God, for the ways that we haven't done that very well in the, the church universal in the past. But to see, God, that you have a great plan for each of our lives, that nothing will go unnoticed under your watchful eye. And God, I pray that we all, whether we're single or married, that we would make first the kingdom of God, running hard after you, God. Seek first your kingdom, and you will add to us in time that you will do it. Forgive us for the ways that we run after the thing before we should. We try and take something we think is good, like Eve and Adam did off the tree. We think it's good for us, but maybe it's in the wrong timing. 
God, to, to seek you first, to open our hands, to relinquish our rights, to surrender our future, God, to you, and quit trying to take it for ourselves, that you will provide at the right time, and your perfect and pleasing will is, is perfect. Help us to trust that, to trust that you are in control of the very intimate details of our life. And I pray for anyone that struggles with loneliness. They're struggling with singleness. It's a, it's a burden for them to carry. I pray, God, that you would relinquish that burden. You'll connect them into godly, life-giving relationships that maybe other people also are experiencing that in their lives and that they would come together and, and bear one another's burdens, as your word tells us to, to love each other in that way and to let anyone listening know that they are not alone. There's no temptation given to man that no one else has experienced. We all can relate. So move, Holy Spirit, across the beautiful souls that are listening here and now as we continue to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, my friends, for worshiping with us again. Just be reminded that singleness doesn't have to be only a waiting season, it, it, but it doesn't have to be a wasted season, that even though you may feel alone, you're not alone. There are many other people that are walking in the same place that you're walking in. And let us know how we can connect you with each other in ways that the Spirit could be birthing that up in our church here to help and, and guide uh, lives right now. And join us for next Sunday as we continue family life and the topic of parenting. Again, We'll get as much into an hour as we can on that one, but please come back and check us out and worship with us on that all-important topic of parenting. We'll see you right back here next Sunday.